It's great to be able to share today. I love teaching, and every time I teach, I learn a lot more within it as I'm looking at the subject again. And, um, the subject is tabernacle, um, not something that we in our own normal lives know really what that is. It's not, you know, there's not generally a tabernacle like the Israelites had down the road from us. So <laughs> it's hard for us in some ways to get a concept of what that is. But if I was to title this myself, I would probably call it the God who can't stay away from us. Because that's really what the tabernacle is about. It's about a God who relentlessly pursues being with us. And not just there as some kind of ruler or boss, but as a friend and as a father and deeply close. And I want to just um, show you a little bit about that through, through the tabernacle. Um, it's a huge topic. There's actually various uh, different expressions of tabernacle in the Bible. It's not just one. It's not just the tabernacle of Moses. Um, and I haven't got time to go into all of those and what it all means and what all the different elements are, although that's fascinating and would love to teach on that at another point. Um, but I want to give a bit of an overview. And the tabernacle that you'll be most familiar with is what I've mentioned already, the tabernacle of Moses. Um, and the word tabernacle means a dwelling place, a shelter, basically. There's actually three different words for tabernacle in the Bible, but I won't go into all of that now. We'll just focus right now on the tabernacle of Moses. God asked for a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a dwelling place. And it comes first in Exodus 25, Verse 9. So Moses has been in the presence of God, and God is instructing him on what to do. And then just read that, that scripture. So Exodus 25, sorry, 8, verse 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the patterns I will show you. So that's, he's asking, and then of course it goes on very specific things. And I remember reading about this as a, as a child and, and thinking... This is, this is bizarre. <laughs> you know, you read Exodus, you read Leviticus, you read Numbers, and you think, this is bizarre, but I can't believe that God just did it for no reason. These things must have reason, because God is not, you know, he's not stupid. <laughs> Everything he does, from the timing of things to the way things are ordered, to how he expresses himself, it's all meaningful. It's all purposeful. And it's all reflecting his heart. And I think for us reading that, just as it is, we think, well, what does this show about God's heart, that he has a lot of rules and regulations? That's kind of how it comes across. But I just want to put this in a bit of a context. So all this that was happening with the Israelites and with Moses comes after he has lifted them out of Egypt, out of bondage. And they have been 400 years in slavery. 
They had been 400 years under Pharaoh. They had basically forgotten who God was because Pharaoh was lording over them like a god. And he was telling them what they had to do. He was oppressing them. He was going after them of more work, more work, more work, more work. This is all you exist for. Work, 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 work. And then God hears their cry. 400 years of slavery. And he hears their cry and he lifts them out. He raises up Moses and we know the story. That they come out of Egypt. He saves them out of Egypt. And then comes all this stuff that you think, what is all that about? But for me, as I read it more and more, it's an expression of taking uh, a people from slavery and into sonship. That's what he was doing. So he was, all that they had known was slavery. All that they'd known of leadership was Pharaoh. All that they'd known of life was we work to please someone else. And then God brought them out and gave them Shabbat. You don't have to work endlessly. You can trust in me. I will provide for you. I want to reteach you that work, yes, is important, but ultimately, you're dependent on me. And you can rely on me. I'm trustworthy. He gave them the feasts, which were reminders year by year, a rhythm that taught them different things about who God was that he was a God who wanted to forgive them. He was a God who wanted to celebrate with them. He was a God who wanted them to remember that he had rescued them. He was a God of love and a God of intimacy and a God of joy. I mean, these are joyful feasts, and I don't know if people have been to Israel, but when you see them doing the Feast of Tabernacles, it is crazy wild. They're dancing, these like Orthodox Jews with the Torah dancing around like crazy and they're all singing and it's joyful. And that's who God is. He is a joyful God. And then he gave them this tabernacle because he didn't want to be far off. He wanted to dwell with them. But he's a holy God and he had to create a way where he could come and dwell in their midst. So that's what the tabernacle of Moses was about. It was in the center of the camp It was movable until they came to the promised land and then it stayed in in one place and eventually became the temple. But it was this central point in the camp, all the tribes camping around, and the presence of God was there. It wasn't just a symbol. He was there, right in the center of their life, making a statement that I am the center point of all your life. Everything revolves around this. And it was a point where heaven met earth. God dwelling with his people, heaven meeting earth, and his rule and reign. And that's what the tabernacle was about, but it it becomes part of a, a bigger story. So it didn't just come out of nowhere. And so I want us to zoom out further. So we zoomed out a bit to look at what, it, what immediate context it was in. And now I want to zoom out totally and do a quick overview through the Bible of how God demonstrates that his main heart is he wants to dwell with his people. So we're going to zoom right back uh, to Eden. 
So the beginning of the word is about a relationship in the center of the universe, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus didn't appear when he was born in a manger. He was there from the beginning. (laughs) So Father, Son, and Spirit in a relationship of love, in a relationship of honor, in a relationship of joy. Father, Son, and Spirit, they didn't need anything else. They had everything there. But if you know that you have love, if you have love inside yourself, you want to share it. You want to give it away. You want to reflect it. And so he created in order to share himself and have a people who would share in that love and that joy and that honor. And so we're, we're created right out of the center of love to be loved and to love. And he created, of course, Adam and Eve. And we know that, so in Genesis 3, when it talks about the fall, there's this little statement, Genesis 3.15. No, have I got the right place? No. Sorry, Genesis, <laughs> no, all the wrong ones. Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves. Now, this is it's a quick statement, but this was what was happening all the time. God was walking with Adam and Eve day by day, dwelling with them. This place, Eden, so you had Eden, and then you had a garden within Eden, and then you had the tree in the center. And this place was where heaven and earth met. It was perfect place. It was paradise. It was heaven and earth together, no separation. It was where God's rule and reign was happening in perfect unity with humanity. And God had created Adam to partner with him. He asked Adam to name the animals. And he he commissioned Adam to tend and to keep the garden. And the word tend and keep there, um, tend, abad, the Hebrew abad, means to serve, to tend the ground, to serve, to work. And then the second word, keep, is shamar, which means to guard and to watch. So here was humanity (laughs) through Adam who was commissioned to work and serve and tend the garden he's been been given and to keep and watch over it so no evil would come in. Interesting that because evil did come in. And we wonder why Adam was not watching. But that's what he was commissioned to do. And what's interesting is those same words, the tending particularly, is the word that refers to what the priests then did in the tabernacle. They were given the same word that you should tend, you should serve in the keep, the tabernacle, guard over it. So it was priestly words right from Eden. Adam was a type of priest serving in the garden that God had given him which we could say was a form of tabernacle because there's the presence of God. So right from Eden, we have this dwelling place where heaven and earth are together. Man is tending and keeping what the Lord has given him in partnership with God, no separation. And he was told to 
subdue the earth and, and move into it, basically advance the kingdom beyond the garden. Kind of sounds a bit like the commission that we have, don't you think? <laughs> and of course, we know what happened then. It's broken by sin, and suddenly heaven and earth are wrenched apart. And there's no longer that connection where we can just walk with the Lord. And since that day, everything that happened after that, up to Christ but also beyond, is about God saying, I will dwell with my people, whatever it costs. I don't want to be a far-off God. I want to dwell in the midst. And so then we leap to what I said before. We get to Exodus 25 and 26, where God steps in again and says, okay, build me a dwelling place. I want to be with you. And I don't have time to go into, like I said, all the aspects, but what I do find interesting is that there was an outer court, and then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, which sounds a little bit like Eden with a garden and the tree in the middle, the presence of God. And this tabernacle was in the midst of the community. It was where his glory dwelt, right there. And uh, Exodus 19 talks about the royal priesthood. So there's like themes that are just being repeated about God's heart. So Exodus 19... um, find the right bit. Yeah, God is expressing to Moses that he is the one who has called them. He called them out of Egypt. It says he he carried them on eagle's wings. It's this, this, this lovely picture of God tenderly lifting them out. And then it says in verse 5, so 19 verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he commands uh, Moses to speak these words. So just as Adam was meant to be a priest, meant to represent the priesthood of God, to serve and to keep. So now he takes a nation and says, okay, let's do it again, this time with a nation. (laughs) You are called to be my treasured possession. Not my slaves, my treasured possession, who will partner with me and bring heaven on earth and advance my kingdom. That's what the tabernacle was supposed to be, a light to the world. Sometimes we think it was all about just Israel you know, it was only just them and God. But God wanted them to be an expression in the earth. Their, his priesthood who would show the world that he is the God who wants to dwell in our midst. And then there's all the different ab- uh, elements with that. And then uh, eventually, so this tabernacle is moving as they move towards the promised land. The presence of God is going with them by the cloud by day and the fire by night. So his movable presence there in the midst is, is just amazing. And then they get into the promised land and the tabernacle is fixed in, in Gibeon. 
and then there's the whole, you know, the Ark of the Covenant gets taken, all the, destru uh, the destruction, um, the people being exiled, and yeah, it's a mess, <laughs> basically. <coughs> Within that then, there's also the, eventually, uh, the tabernacle becomes Solomon's temple. I'm not going to go into all of that, but that's all happening. So there's a lot of fight over this presence of God in their midst. And there's rejection of it and moving away from it. So that all happens. Everything looks like it's lost. And then what happens? Jesus comes. And right, uh, I love the way it is in John's gospel. If you move to, to John 1. Verse 14. So it's, before it's been talking about the word becomes flesh. It says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus was there at the beginning. <laughs> and now this is the inbreaking kingdom coming again. So that's, that glory had lifted. There was that separation again, and then Jesus steps in. The inbreaking kingdom. And in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word there is tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. So now the presence of the Lord is in human form. <laughs> he, his body, became the tabernacle. The very presence of God, heaven, connecting with earth through the body of Jesus. Coming down and saying, I am going to dwell with you. I will have my people. <laughs> and so he comes in this earthly form, which is just incredible that he would do that. In Philippians, it talks about Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. That doesn't mean he didn't have equality with God. It means he didn't need to fight and, and grab onto it. He, he humbled himself and took on flesh. He had no problem with his identity. He wasn't like, I've, I've not got to prove anything. I can come as a baby in the manger and I'm still God. He, he, he knew what he was going to do. And so he comes in this fleshly form as a living tabernacle. And what's amazing about Jesus is he comes as a king and a priest. So he becomes that priest on the earth, living out again, heaven on earth, God dwelling with his people, and the priesthood. There's so much in that. <laughs> we can't even go into it. Um, in Hebrews 8 and 9, it talks about that, that Jesus is the true high priest, the true living one who came once and for all, to die for us. And so all of that expression in the tabernacle previously was pointing towards Jesus, but also beyond to when, to the end, which I'll come to in a minute. So then we know, of course, Jesus is the, is the, the living tabernacle, and then as we, as believers, accept him, we become a living tabernacle. So 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 talks about the us as the living stones. 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we see it again, this theme coming through. So now we, individually, but also corporately, so individually we accept Christ and we become a tabernacle of his glory. His glory dwells within us. Heaven and earth connects again right here. You have all the power of Christ within you. You don't have to go somewhere to reach heaven. Heaven is here inside of you. The kingdom is here. You, Says of God, when he, uh, Jesus, when he stepped in, the kingdom is here. Because he brought with him the whole of heaven. And we have that now in us. We are the dwelling place of God. My heart is the dwelling place of God when I accept him. And we become the royal priesthood. Wow. To serve him, to partner with him, and to see his kingdom advanced in the earth. And often we stop there. That's the end of the story. We have Jesus. Great. We're advancing the kingdom, and eventually it will all come to an end. But there is more. (laughs) Revelation 21, verse 3. I'll I'll just, um, I'll start actually at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God's. The end of the story is that Eden will come back, so to say. It'll all be fully restored. And that's what the story of the whole of the Bible is about. God wants to be with his people. He wants heaven and earth together. It's not that we're going to go and be in heaven. He wants heaven and that's the whole story is about that. That he's preparing a bride, that he wants to dwell with his people and it will be glorious. He will tabernacle forever with his people. We don't understand all that, but we know it's true. So I hope you get from that, I haven't finished, but (laughs) get from that that God wants to dwell with us, that we are a royal priesthood, and that heaven and earth are meant to be together, not separate. But hidden... Within all of that is a great story that affects us that I think sometimes we skip over. Because after there was Moses' tabernacle, and then it was in Gibeon as a fixed place, and the ark had been taken away, and then David brings the ark back. But he doesn't take the ark back to Gibeon. That, that, that tabernacle's still there, and they're doing the sacrifices. He tells them to carry on doing the sacrifices, but he takes the ark, the presence of God, to a very simple tent. 
So he comes back rejoicing. Great joy about the presence of God coming back. And he goes to Jerusalem to a very simple tent with the sides wide open. And there's no sacrifice. There's, when they first arrive, they sacrifice as a, as a joyful celebration. But after that, there's no more sacrifices in that tabernacle. But what he does is he puts in place wor- worshippers, musicians, singers, gatekeepers, and starts a 24-hour continuous worship and prayer declaration of God's glory. And so it becomes a singing tabernacle. And the priests who are there, their service, their sacrifice is their praise. And he does that for 33 years. I find that a significant number considering Jesus. (laughs) So for 33 years, he puts all his resources pretty much when he actually asked Solomon to build the temple, they've worked it out that he, he of his own resources, asked, uh, put forward something like $850 million to put singers, musicians, and gatekeepers in a temple to worship the Lord day and night. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that say something about what he thought was important? And what's interesting about all that, I could talk a lot about that. (laughs) Um, In in Amos 9.11, there's this phrase that could be easily jumped over again. (laughs) I love it when God hides things so that we search it out. Amos 9.11. It talks about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. It doesn't say the restoration of the tabernacle of Moses. It doesn't say the restoration of the temple of Solomon that came after the tabernacle of David. But it says there will be the restoration of the tabernacle of of David in the end days. And then, of course, Jesus comes along, and you could see that as a fulfillment of God is restoring all things through the body of Messiah. True. But we don't see that full fulfillment yet, do we? And do we see the whole world singing and praising God? No. And what's interesting to me that even after Jesus comes, that statement is made again in Acts 15 by Peter. Uh, Where's the scripture? (laughs) I had it somewhere. Peter says it in Acts 15, I think. I've lost my place now. If anybody finds it before me, tell me. Oh, 15. Oh. Acts 15, 15, yeah. Can you read it? <laughs> Shout it. <laughs> um, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it's written, after his I will return and rebuild David's fallen tents. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. 
that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, say the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. Yeah. yeah. So we know they have this declaration that in the end days there is going to be the full restoration of not the tabernacle of Moses but the tabernacle of David where there was 24-7 worship and prayer. And we know from, um, from Matthew 6 where Jesus t- teaches us to pray, he says, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's happening in heaven? There is 24-hour worship before the throne of God and it's his full rule and reign. Everything is his rule and reign, and that's what God desires on earth. That is the kingdom in its full expression. And I believe fully he is restoring this tabernacle in these days. It started with Jesus, with the church, but he's bringing it more. It's getting faster and faster, more obvious and more obvious. There's literally people around the world who are giving themselves day and night to worship the Lord because they believe, even though logically it seems ridiculous, they know that's the way his presence will come fully into our lives and his kingdom will be advanced. And OCF, the, the, the statement, the mission statement is to be this habitation of God's presence in the community. Well, that means we need to become a tabernacle of David. To be worshipping and praising day and night, that doesn't mean that, you know, if we haven't got there yet, we've failed. You know, can't say that we're, we're doing that. We might be doing it in elements individually, but corporately, we don't see that yet. But in exploring this, we're saying our heart is to be that place where there's continuous worship and prayer, where his glory dwells in our midst, where we partner with him to see his kingdom come. And my heart burns for that, to see that day and to be part of that, because I truly believe that when when his presence is manifest in our midst, people will be falling over to to come to know him. We want to be that church that is alive with the expression of worship, alive with the glory of God manifest in us and through us, so that whether we're in the workplace or whether we're in our families, in our homes, you know, your home can be a a mini tabernacle. (laughs) It should be. God wants it to be where heaven meets earth, where worship is going up. And I understand that It's difficult to understand what that kind of looks like on a day-to-day level. Well, let's go on a journey together to find out what that looks like to be that dwelling place, to to be praising and lifting the Lord day and night to see his glory come. I think that's it. (laughs) Amen.